Good morning, everyone, here and online. And we're still continuing our series on the parables. And I find the parables absolutely fascinating in their simplicity, and yet they are so full of incredible treasures if we'll only take the time to study them. I learned so much from Mark's teachings on the parable of the weeds and the parable of the mustard seed and yeast. And if you missed them, do go back and listen. They are, they are so powerful. Um, they're simple parables, but they give us even more. And you may remember when Mark spoke about the wheat and the weeds, he spoke about the weeds being darnel, and that they look exactly like wheat. And yet they represented the evil and the wheat represented the good. But it was so hard to tell the difference. And that's why they were left to grow there. It was only at the end, when it came to harvest time, that you could actually tell the difference. And we saw what happened in the parable. The wheats were saved and the weeds were burnt. They were rejected. So such an important parable. And then the mustard seed. It's so little, the teeniest, weeniest little seed there is, and yet it can bloom into a tree where birds can come and find rest. And with that little, little, little seed of faith, we can share the love of God and people can come and rest in our presence as we can tell them about the Holy Spirit and fill them with the love of Christ. And then the yeast. The yeast is really only a small part of the ingredients, and yet it works its way through the whole dough and changes the dough. And just a little bit of faith can change us into a powerful, powerful warrior for Christ. And a little bit of evil can completely ruin us. So they were really important parables. But today, believe it or not, I want to look at them again and see what each of them teaches us about the kingdom. And we know that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what have these two little parables got to do about the kingdom? Walter Rauschenbach says the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven. I think sometimes in our evangelistic zeal, we bash people with the gospel and we, we've got to tell them because they've got to go to heaven. And if we've told them, tick, we've done our business. But he says the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven, but of transforming the life on earth into a harmony of heaven. Can we live like the kingdom here on earth so that when people come into contact with us whatever we say whatever we do we usher in the kingdom we are the demonstration of the kingdom here on earth i've been reading jared cooper's book the divine reset i shared a little bit from it um, in one of my previous messages and a lot of what i'm teaching on today has come again from his book, The Divine Reset. And in this he says, as the church simplifies to get back its devotion 
to prayer and divine encounter. And I just want to pick up prayer and divine encounter. We are trying so hard as a leadership and you guys as a church have been fantastic in terms of delving deep into prayer. It's so great to see so many of you at the prayer meetings and we've learned to wait. And in our waiting, God is speaking to us. Every single person in our prayer meetings hears something and as they share, we build up a picture of what God is saying to us as a church. That's where the new things are coming from, where we've been told, hold, hold, and then the starting pistol's being fired. Where, what are the new things? We still need to be hearing and listening, and that's only when we're together in prayer. And then divine encounter. We are trying more and more to give more and more opportunities every time we meet for people to come together, to bring a prophetic word, to bring a picture, to bring something that God has laid on their hearts for us, because that's how we as saints are equipped. That's how we build up our faith. That's how we support one another, love one another, encourage one another and respond. So there's so many opportunities for the Holy Spirit to move in our meetings. Please don't hold back. No one's an expert, no one's perfect. All we have to do is listen, be obedient, and willing to share. I know it's scary sometimes, but if you've done it once, you'll do it again. So, so this is what he's saying. As the church simplifies, so many of the structures of the churches have just been fallen away because of COVID. And the churches that are on fire for the Lord and doing the new things, they're not picking them up again. And everything that's been written now of Christianity and the church is what is God calling us to do? Let go of those things that were not bearing fruit, these ministries that you just propped up, and what is the new thing? So, so let's get back to this devotion and prayer, divine accountant encounters. Jared Cooper says, I believe the result will be an explosive harvest of souls. But not only that, a full embracing of the mandate that the church has been given. And what is that mandate? To see the kingdom come on earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mandate. The kingdom is not the same thing as the church. Can I say that again? The kingdom is not the same thing as the church. While the concept of the church is how we gather, the concept of the kingdom is how God reigns on the earth through us, his saints. Okay? In simple terms, the idea of the church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, meaning to call out. The church is the called out ones, gathering together as an assembly. But the influence of this gathering together of holy ones, that's us, is to reach beyond these walls and into the world. The kingdom is wider and broader than the gathered church. 
It speaks of entire cultures coming under the influence and blessing of God, flowing through us. We are salt and light. That's what Matthew says in 5, 13 to 16. We are the salt and we are the light. It's our presence, the presence of the ecclesia, the called ones. We're the believers that are called to influence society. Probably Jesus' primary definition of the nature and modus operandi of the kingdom is found in Matthew chapter 13. And I want to look at the parables in this amazing chapter and dwell on a few headlines about how the kingdom operates and how it's subtly different from the church. So, the parable of the weeds. So let's look at it again. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and then tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Matthew 13 verses 24 to 30. And then later in the chapter, Jesus explains the parable of the weeds. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came and said to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. We know that's the title given to Jesus. The field is the world and the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Verses 36 to 43. In the parable of the weeds, we find the key differences between the kingdom 
and the church clarified. In the New Testament writings about the church, it is clear that purity, dealing thoroughly with sin, and even utilizing church discipline are issues to take seriously. The Apostle Paul even recommending that a church expel the immoral brother when needed. 1 Corinthians 5.13 That's the church. The body of Christ, the church, should be a joyful holy place that accepts sinners but it is also expected that maturing believers should show fruits of repentance and be humble and willing to change. This is the house of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones. In the church, we accept discipline because we are disciples. There are standards of holy behavior that still matter deeply to God and that God speaks of in intricate detail, even in the New Testament epistles. But the idea of the kingdom of God is slightly different. While the church is a home for developing holiness, the kingdom is about the rule the reign and the influence of God in an otherwise broken society. While the church has a need to deal with sinfulness and thoroughly disciple members towards godly lives, the kingdom of God is more like a field where the righteous and the unrighteous cohabit. It's a messy field with both unholy weeds and virtuous wheat growing side by side. Some religious Christians would want to rip out the wicked weeds on day one. Can't come into our church unless you're pure and holy and da 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 da. Fearful of catching an infection of evil. But if you try to turn the places of kingdom influence into many churches, you'll miss the wonder of God's grace and the plans of heaven for the kingdom to come into every sphere of society. It is wrong to expect places of mere kingdom influence to be like churches in their holy standards. It's equally wrong to expect churches to allow compromise in the morality and actions of its mature believers, those supposed to be called out and holy. Are you seeing the difference? The church, then, is the place of discipline, discipleship, and maturation. But the kingdom is the influence of that church beyond her gathered boundaries, lavishing, revitalizing mercy and restorative grace on a broken world. Let's never mix up the two. The demand from churches to pull out the wickedness before its time has led to many aborted advancement for God's kingdom into a new realm. Instead, we must learn to serve the ungodly, leaving the timings of heaven to bring about deep behavioral change. Like Joseph, 
serving an ungodly Pharaoh, or Daniel and his friends blessing idol-worshipping kings from other lands. The kingdom is about loving the ungodly and revealing the goodness and kindness of God to environments that don't deserve it without expecting them to become churches overnight or even at all. Kingdom work is a lot riskier than church work. It demands we touch the leprous, trusting that we will not become unclean, but instead our purity will influence and transform society. As we reach out and bless society around us, without the demand that they become just like churches, we find an amazing favor will rest upon the church, as summarized in the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. So let's look at the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Still in Matthew 13, 31 to 33. Stuart McKinley of Revived Church sums it up like this. The key truth in these verses is that the kingdom of God is disproportionate. You do a little, little seed, little bit of yeast, and God makes much of it. Tree that birds can rest in, huge pile of dough. It's disproportionate. We just do a little, and God does so much more. Here you find a small mustard seed, which would usually produce a small bush. And as one version of the parable puts it, in the original language, it becomes a mega tree. It's totally supernatural and disproportionate. It shows us that the influence of the kingdom through even a small church or a faltering believer can be so huge that the birds of the air will come to rest in your branches. Isn't that encouraging? We don't have to be superheroes, great evangelists, tent meetings, just a little seed, a little bit of yeast, a little bit of faith, and God will do great things with it. I think this means that the people of the world will want to shelter among the people of the kingdom as we bless them with what we have to give. They will rest among our kindness, wisdom and sure-footedness as it causes them to feel safe among us. Non-Christian businesses will want to use your conference facilities, employ children from your schools, coffee with you as advisors, enlist your opinions, and even get you to speak at their events. This is the kingdom coming, and the eventual effect is disproportionate godly influence as seen in the lives of Joseph and Daniel. The parable goes on to express the sense of disproportionate effect of kingdom activity with the story of the yeast. 
Yeast is the smallest ingredient in bread, but it has the biggest effect. Just a little yeast transforms the whole loaf with life. Your mere presence in that organization, in that office, in that classroom, or at that planning team can in time utterly transform the shape and substance of society as we step out, trusting that God's passionate desire for his kingdom to come amongst us will lead to disproportionate blessing on our small actions and investments. Ultimately, as the church gives itself to reach the world around us with a kingdom mindset, the next parable tells us what will happen. And here's a new one we haven't looked at before. It's the parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verses 47 to 50 in Matthew 13. This final thought is that the kingdom is like a fishing net that is let down over a lake. The lake represents all of society, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The kingdom then is a net that covers and reaches out to all. Imagine that God wants to release a kingdom net over the whole earth, including the region, nation, or city where you feel God has graced you with responsibility. He wants to lay it across Purley. He wants to lay it across where you live, where you work. He will lay it over hospitals, businesses, schools and universities, the emergency services, the families, finances and communities of an entire region as God's desire is to restore all things. Acts 3.21 tells us God wishes to restore all things in every sphere of society. It's not simply a net of soul-willing evangelism, but also a net of kingdom influence. We can restore entire cultures and spheres of influence back to God. It's amazing, isn't it, what our little bit can do. Notice the kingdom net will have wicked people under its influence, and they won't be removed until the end of the age. And then, not by you, by angels. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, some among the wicked who are under the influence of the kingdom of God will not be separated out until the end of time. Our job, therefore, in the context of the kingdom, rather than church discipleship, is not to separate or remove or make judgments on people, 
but rather to subdue them with goodness and kindness, to serve, to advise, to influence, and to be salt and light. We must allow the good, the bad, and the ugly to rest in our kingdom branches. We must influence life and living in disproportionate ways by simply being present and attentive to the needs of society. Slowly, powerfully, the kingdom will come. And yes, when the kingdom influence is strong, many more will easily get saved too. But first, we need to give ourselves to taking the kingdom to every part of society. As we give ourselves increasingly to kingdom mission, instead of busying ourselves doing churchy things for churchy people, we'll begin to realize we're on mission at our places of work, on our streets, where we live, at our schools, even in our homes, every single day. We are anointed to bring God's goodness and kingdom in, daily subduing the world around us through kindness, goodness, and love. We serve them to help them turn their places of work, family, and leisure into landing zones for the kingdom of God. This is God's plan in this next era of the unfolding of his purpose on earth. Is this the new thing that we're being called to? I wonder. Can we learn from these parables and be a church that grows God's kingdom? Can our daily prayer be, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We have some questions now for discussion, so I'll go through them, and then you lovely people who are live streaming will join the Zoom group, and the rest of us will get into our groups to chat through these questions. So the first question, hope that you can get this. Can you clearly define the difference between the church and the kingdom? I think this is really important that we get this under our belts. The second question, why is it important to let the weeds and wheat grow together? And how can you do this without compromising your holy standards as a church? How can we do this without compromising our holy standards as a church? The third question, why is church discipline still necessary, even though the church must express great grace to the world? And the fourth one, do you have any stories of the disproportionate effect of bringing kingdom influence to a situation? Do you have any stories of the birds of the air wanting to rest in the kingdom branches of your community? Have you made a difference where you are? Can you share? And then would you pray that grace would be a church that brings the kingdom of God wherever we are. So thank you. Goodbye to those of you on the live stream. And let's get into our groups and chat through those questions. Thanks, everyone.